The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. I should let the music go on a little bit, I suppose. It's such a catchy tune. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show where we explore and we celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Every week, as you know, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work, and we do that through visual devices, through visual systems. We install the language of our current level of operational excellence into the living landscape of work. Hmm? Even if we're not quite as excellent as we wish we would be, but that gives us a platform to build higher and build higher. So I'm really delighted today. I'm going to keep my announcements and my intro very short because I'm going to welcome in a moment my great friend and a really great contributor to both our society and also to our business community, Norman Bodek. You know him through the hundreds, in fact, 250 books that he published when he was head of Productivity, Inc. But let me just make a couple of announcements so that you know. Some of you have been asking about our training of trainers. We're going to be doing one in September. We're just working out the arrangements with our hosts now. It will probably be at a winery in Napa Valley. This will be a training of trainers for work that makes sense. We are also doing training in England this summer on visual leadership. This is my new book, The Eye of the Leader, I meaning the individual of the leader, the self of the leader, the principles and practices of visual leadership. That should come out this winter. And then I'm also doing a presentation at the University of Buckingham on July 10th and 11th. I'll be staying in England for a couple of weeks then and um, doing some on-site work with clients that's beginning to populate now. And let me see, there was something, ah, the Spanish translation. I tell you, Heidi and I and my editor, Aurelia, we've been putting hundreds and hundreds of hours into getting our Spanish translation of work that makes sense up and going. We've got about another, I'd say, 17 minutes left, and it has been a haul. Neither one of us, none of us speak Spanish, but there's still so much to do to get things just right. So we're very, very excited about that. And um, we will tell you more about it on our website as that comes along, visualworkplace.com. So now, having said all that, please let me introduce my great friend, Norman Bodak, who was a formative leader in the field of operational excellence and now author of nearly a dozen books of his own. He is a speaker. He's joining us today. 
and uh, we will be talking about many things, in, including his own experience in the 1980s with bringing the knowledge from Japan, bringing them, bringing that knowledge to us. So let me welcome Norman. We'll begin the conversation. There are some nice surprises coming as he goes into uh, the past and then travels into where he's at now with his new work. Norman Bodek, welcome to The Visual Workplace. Thank you so much for coming. I thank you, Gwen, for inviting me, and I am very impressed on the things that you're doing. And I also want to thank everybody out there for coming to listen to us. Thank you. Yes, indeed. And I want to send a special thank you to Sam Korb, who is with Lean Israel. He has been sending Norman get well notes and waiting for this interview as well because he's a great fan of yours. So let's talk. Hi there, Sam. So let's talk about when we met. If you remember, I was doing my dissertation because I had been fired from a job and I didn't know what else to do with my time, so I went for my doctorate. I was doing my dissertation using your Wang computer, if anybody even remembers the Wang, W-A-N-G. This is back in 1983. And I stayed sitting at your server for 10 months working on my dissertation, and every time... I wrote something and sent it to the printer. It would come back scrambled because I didn't know I didn't know to clear the buffer to hit the control C when I pipped things over. And one day you walked up to me and you said, "What? You're still here? What are you doing here?" I said, "I'm writing this book." And you said, "What's it on?" And I said, "It's on the participation of and that's all the further I got." When you said participation, participation, the Japanese are always talking about participation, I'm going to give you a job. And you did. And I began to work with you. And these were the heydays when we were bringing so much knowledge, when you had captured so much knowledge from Japan and were bringing it to the rest of us, to the rest of the world and to my attention in the form of books and eventually training courses and conferences and videos. Will you please talk about that time? Talk about what it was like to begin and really, if you will, how you got started. You know, that famous library that you went to. Please tell us your story. Yes, well, I was fired too. <laughs> I was president of a data processing company, Greenwich, Connecticut, and I foolishly signed up a very big contract with the Indiana Bell. It was so big that they didn't need me anymore, so they let me go. It was a very funny story. But I didn't worry because they had to pay me very well for the next three years. And it was August 13th, and I remember the day because August 12th is my birthday. So this was sort of a belated birthday gift. I'm reading the New York Times, and it said productivity declined for the first time in 33 quarters. I didn't know what productivity meant, but for some strange reason, I went to the Greenwich Library. Now, that's very strange because I never liked libraries because when I was very young, my father told me that he didn't return a book once and a policeman came to the house to try to get the book back. So that's stuck in my head that you don't borrow books from libraries. But I became fascinated with the subject of productivity, so fascinated that I started a newsletter. And what was very funny back then, I couldn't write, Gwen. I couldn't write. My teachers told me I couldn't write, and I believed them. 
Now the author of 10 books, by the way. Now the author of 10 books. Yeah, amazing. And I also teach at Portland State University. Uh, <laughs> they should only know my, my history. But it was a fabulous story, and I became fascinated, found out the Japanese were the productivity growth leaders in the world. And so I had to go to Japan to find out. And I went there on a study mission, brought over 19 senior executives to try to determine what the Japanese were doing to be the leaders in the world in productivity and quality. I'm going to interrupt just for a second so people understand. You led the study mission. You had never been to Japan before, but you led a study mission to Japan and somehow persuaded a bunch of executives to get on the plane with you, even though you had no experience. It's true. I didn't speak Japanese. I knew no one in Japan. But I had to find out what the Japanese were doing, and it was not in our literature. And no American company was really going after it at the time to try to discover what the Japanese were doing so well. And so I went there, and the first trip was a miracle trip. And you know this story because Mm -hmm. you know the man. His name is Dr. Yuji Fukuda. And I became very impressed with him. He taught a very simple technique. He called it on-era training Toyota calls it Jidoka, which empowers the person to stop working, stop the line, to try to detect an error or a problem immediately when it occurred. I became fascinated with him, and I walked over to him to talk to him, and he told me he wrote a book, and immediately said, well, I'll publish the book in English. I had no idea what I, what I was doing because I never published a book before, but I learned. It took me two years to publish it. In that time period, we'll talk a little bit about too, I met Dr. Shigeo Shingo, I met Mr. Taichi Ono, I met Ishikawa, I met probably Gwen, 60 to 75 mm-hmm. of the top leaders or gurus mm-hmm. in the field of quality and productivity. Hirano, Nakajima. It, it's just my miracle, you know. Iwata. <laughs> it's funny. Went to a Chinese restaurant one day, and I'm very careful with the fortune cookies. And this fortune cookie said, you, meaning me, you have the talent to recognize the talent in others. And that's it. I can recognize the talent in others uh, just the way I recognize the talent in you. I remember that very well. Very well. Let me make just a little bit of an adjustment because we have a lot, a lot of people listening and some of them are uh, as old as we are and were there then. So there was really uh, pioneering work being done, for example, with um, Briggs & Stratton and with the consulting company Rath and Strong for one people were reading the little green book the Monden book they were you know having study groups with this first book on the Toyota system even though this uh, Japanese English was uh, undecipherable and they they had heard about the productivity in Japan but the thing and, and they were kind of trying to penetrate what the system was about. But the thing that you, so the work had preceded your trip, even though it hadn't become in any way known, popularly known. What you did, as far as I can tell, was to bring over this treasure trove and in a sense mass marketed it. You translated everything and you marketed it and people could no longer say they didn't understand, they didn't know. The knowledge was pushed into their faces 
first through the books themselves, which were were one-of-a-kind books. They were translated from Japan and from the Japanese and translated really well. This was another of your contribution that you invested the money. I think that what the Fukuda book cost you $100,000 to translate. This was back in the 80s. Was it that much? Well, a little less of a kudu. A single book cost me $100,000. But the, the, the interesting thing here, even with Monden, because even though I didn't get Monden's book, I missed it by a month. Um, I went after Monden immediately. That was in 1980, shortly after I started the newsletter. And I found him, went after him. And, and then when the book came out, I ordered 15,000 copies and I think the Industrial Engineering Association maybe sold 16,000 in total. <laughs> I became their marketing wing. Now, Monden was wonderful, but because of his language, and he was an accountant, we didn't really get a full understanding of what Toyota was all about from that book. And I don't think it was until I was able to bring over Shingo's work and Ono's work that we really started to get some depth of understanding of what the Toyota system in just in time was about. So very, very interesting. And and I want to say, um, listeners, that the the fact of the matter was in the 1980s, 81, 82, Norman was still publishing a newsletter. And in fact, talk about recognizing talent and grabbing it. He hired the librarian to be his newsletter editor, the very librarian that had handed him the New York Times or whatever that told him about productivity. But what, but when you began to bring the books over, you began to put this knowledge into very good English. Remember Connie Dyer, who was an attorney by training, and she became one of your main editors, and her use of language was superb. All of her work with um, a total productive maintenance was exquisitely expressed so that we not only had the knowledge base, but we had the vehicle for sharing it. 200, 250 books, it was, it was a machine. And uh, everyone, this is the first great contribution that Norman made, that he was, he committed to this knowledge. It made him a wealthy man, but it also made us a wealthy people and helped many, many companies. So we're going to pick this up after the break. We'll talk a, a little bit more about the books, but then I'd like to move into talking talking about Shingo and Ono, about SMED, and about the Shingo Prize, and on and on. We have many things to cover. Please come back. We'll be here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. 
Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. I'm here with Norman Bodak, and we are interviewing Mr. Bodak about his very, very interesting life and about the contribution that he made or he has been making for more than 30 years to our industrial and business knowledge to the workplace. I want to give you his email. So you can be in touch with him directly. It is Bodak, Norman's last name, at pcspress.com. That's B as in boy, O, D as in David, E, K as in kitchen, Bodak, at P, Peter, C, Charitable, S, Sam, Press, pcspress.com. Please be in touch with him, if only to say thank you. So Norman, just before the break, we were talking about um, the uh, the kind of the revolution that was started because knowledge arrived on our shores, and your contribution in going to Japan, following your nose, following your instincts, following your intuition, and discovering that there was a wealth of knowledge that was in the Japanese language that needed to be released, and you committed because of your, it's kind of like a connection with language that you have, because of your connection with newsletters and already sharing knowledge through the printed word, it's what seemed easy or natural to um, take on the publishing of books. You started with one, it took you like an hour, a year and a half to get Fukuda into print. That's when I came along. I came along, I think, the summer that that came out, and you said to me, Gwendolyn, I just spent something like $100,000 translating this book, and you need to figure out a way to do something called a training course so I could get my money back. Do you remember that? I was I was sitting at your computer, and uh, and so that was my job to begin with. But you brought you kept the books coming, and on the way, you met Shingo. So please tell us about that story, and then I'd love for you to um, um, slide over into talking about the relationship between Ono and Shingo. Yeah. Um, I started to take study missions in February 1981. started the newsletter in May 1980, um, but we took the first study mission to Japan with these 19 executives, 
And then it was on the second study mission six months later when I did it on my own. The first one I did with Japan Productivity Center. And then I did it on my own, which was an amazing challenge. Um, I took over Jack Warren. He was one of the travelers on the second study mission. And Jack was the senior vice president of Omark Industries out here in Portland. And we would visit all of these Japanese companies, and Jack would say, Norman, I don't know why I'm here, because my company is better than anything I've seen in Japan. And I was so embarrassed, Gwen. And it took about Tuesday, the second week, when we went to Nippon Denso, who is a major supplier to Toyota, and we were in this plant, and Mr. Ota, he's a very famous person too, Mr. Ota, because Ono picked the 10 top people in the suppliers to convert all of the suppliers to just-in-time. Mr. Ota was one of them. And Ota was giving us this lecture about quick changeover and, uh, and on mixed modeling. And um, the guide comes over to me and says, Norman, we got to go to Japan. We have to leave right now to catch our train. And Mr. Ota says, no, you can't leave. You don't understand what I'm talking about yet. So we stayed. What, what do you mean? We have to go back to Tokyo, you mean? You said we have to go back to Japan. No, we, I'm sorry. We were in the Goya, and we have to go back to Tokyo. Okay, okay. And so before we left, Mr. Ota gave us a sheet of paper, and on the sheet of paper it said the study of the Toyota production system from an engineering viewpoint, Shigeo Shingo. Didn't say anything about it. That was it. And on the bottom it said Japan Management Association in Tokyo. Well, I got to Japan. I told the travelers. I called them. I found that it's a book. And I said to the travelers, who wants to buy the book? I'm going to buy one. And Jack Warren said he'll buy one. And the other people didn't want it. It was amazing. Well, I bought the book. I read it on the plane coming back. And I bought 500 copies of the book for my newsletter subscribers. And um, Jack Warren bought 500 to give to every one of his managers. Now, this is a brilliant thing of Jack because this is an inexpensive way to get people trained. It let them buy the book, let them read it together and ask a question, how do we apply the knowledge here? So they're not reading it individually, they're reading it collectively. Well, a few months later, as I was working on uh, Fukuda's book, the first book, I had to go to Japan because I didn't understand fully the book. So I got on to Japan to go meet with Dr. Fukuda and Noriko Hosoyumada, his translator. Noriko met me at the airport. And the the first day we went to the new Otani Hotel and there was a conference going on. And I didn't know about the conference. But I went to the conference and at the conference was speaking uh, Dr. Shigeo Shingo and Taichi Ono. It's a small miracle. And so I had a chance to listen to both. And then I walked over to Shingo. He was in a wheelchair. And I said, Shingo, my name is Vodek. I already bought 500 copies of the book from him. And he, he didn't acknowledge me. You know, it was like all, 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 all gaijins, all Westerners look alike, you know. <laughs> looked up and then he looked down. And then about 10, 15 seconds later, he said, ah, Bodek son. And he looked up and he put a real smile on his face. <laughs> and that was my first chance to meet him. And immediately I said, you got to come to the United States. I want to bring you. I had no idea what I was saying, but that's what I said. And he said, look, I'm in a wheelchair. I said, yeah, but you're going to get well. And sure enough, I brought Shingo over almost twice a year for the next 10 years in a row to speak at our conferences, to visit American corporations, to go to our universities, to begin to teach us the details of the Toyota production system. 
and it was the details that we started to know. I mean, I took him to once to Dresser Industries. Dresser was making um, gasoline pumps. And we went over, this is two things, what amazing learning for me. We went over a punch press, and Shingo looked at two operators running the press, and we were working with a group of engineers, and he said to the engineers, not that many, maybe five, he said to the engineers, tell me how you can improve the value added of this operation. What percentage is waste, and what percentage is value adding? And then he clocked it. And what happened is they picked up a piece of sheet metal, put it into the punch press. Punch press would stamp it, and then they go in and reach in for the metal and move the form metal to the side, and then they took another another sheet. And Shingo said, how much is value adding? And one engineer said, 100% is value engineering, uh, oh, you know, value, in, in value uh, um, adding, because the machine is always working. Another one said, no, only 75%. Another one said, only 50%. And Shingo laughed, and he said, no, only 12%. It's only when the blade is pressing down on the metal are we adding value. And then he said to the group, what can you do to improve this ratio? Amazing from that one question, <laughs> management can only ask the right question. <laughs> and one engineer said, you know, if I put a level ear, you know, you go to a cafeteria the way the plates automatically go up. <laughs> if I put this underneath the, uh, the sheets of steel, when I push a sheet of steel into the press, the next one would automatically come to the right level. So I don't have to bend anymore. The next engineer said, you know, after the press comes down, I could put a spring in the back and the spring would force the metal forward and save a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And then Shingo said, yes, that's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And then we walked along the factory and we came to a punch press, another one, mm. and Shingo wanted them to demonstrate a changeover. And it was taking them two hours to do the changeover. And Shingo spent about an hour teaching them the principles of inside and outside exchange of dye. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I want you to demonstrate how long is it going to take you to get ready. And they said, two hours, it was three hours. And then Shingo said, all right, I'll be back in three hours, but I want you to change the press in ten minutes or less. That's from two hours. Mm. We came back three hours later. They demonstrated. They did it in 12 minutes. Mm. And Shingo had a sneer on his face. And he said, I told you to do it in 10, not 12. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. What Fantastic. an amazing, amazing teacher. What an amazing, amazing human being. A barracuda. A barracuda. He was always looking for trouble. He was an amazing human being. Now, tell us your experience with Ono and then put the two together because I'm so interested and I'm sure others are as well. well. I was very fortunate to meet Ono. See, I started with I, I met Ono as well, but you spent a lot of time with him. Yeah, I mean, I started with Shingo because I started to publish his books. So he, I published his green, I, I distributed the green book. I sold 35,000 copies, but he was the one that paid for the translation, not me. Eventually, the Connie Dyer you, you mentioned, she re-edited re the book and we came out with a new version later on. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. um, but then, Shing, because that first book was called Jangalese, it was so poorly translated. And Shingo, somebody told Shingo about it. He became so embarrassed. He said, Norman, I want you to publish my all of my books in the future. That was a magic moment because he then gave me about a dozen more of his books to publish. Mm-hmm. Um, since I was publishing Shingo's books, I got to meet a lot of the 
publishing companies in Japan, a lot of the editors, in fact, about 25 different publishing companies I work with, and one of the editors introduced me to Ono. I knew of him, but I didn't know about his book. Well, his book just came out, his first one, and I quickly got it. And since I got the book, I got Ono, (laughs) because that gave me an entrance to him, and I immediately contacted him and brought a study mission to Toyota, and Ono was very nice to speak to my group. And I never forget, I went to one of his plants, and every trip to Japan thereafter, as long as Ono was alive, I would bring the study mission to meet Ono and visit Toyota or visit the the suppliers that he would arrange for me. Um, so many stories. Yes, I remember <laughs> some of those stories. I come here to Toyota very often, but I always see an old plant. I'm always seeing old machines. And, and Ono would say to me, Norman, you don't understand just in time. In fact, that was his favorite phrase whenever he saw me. He would say, Norman, you don't understand just in time. He said, our plants, the equipment, the age of our equipment and the way they look have nothing to do with just in time. Our job is to take a new machine and consider it being in the worst condition of its life and to make sure all the machines are better than brand new. That was part of the mm-hmm. part of the Toyota system. He was such a visionary. We're, we're going into a break. When we come back from the break, I'd like you to talk about finding a home for the Shingo Prize, and then we'll move into your reinvention of Norman Vodak and the Harada method of self-reliance. I'd like to spend some time on that because this is an important part of uh, the your new thinking. So we'll be back in just a moment. Norman, thank you very much. Love these stories. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, here we are for uh, the next segment of our show. I'm here with Norman Bodak. I met him in 1983. Actually, I knew him before then. We were kind of in the same church together, so to speak. Uh, but I hadn't known him very well at all. And then he gave me a job because I used his computer and was, was writing on something that was interesting uh, in order to fulfill a um, school requirement. And uh, it was really a seminal moment in my life, a seminal moment that brought me to the work that brings me to you, which is the visual workplace. And I'm very, very grateful. Uh, These were very, um, very exciting days and days that changed many people's lives. So you can reach Norman at bodak at pcspress.com. P. Peter C. Charlie S. Sam Press, pcspress.com, or radio at visualworkplace.com, and we'll pass it on to Norman. Just before the break, we were talking about Ono and about his um, the kinds of books and the kinds of relationships that you were developing with him and uh, the attitude that many Japanese had about uh, the inability of the West to understand what good quality was or what the system of pull, what they what was then called JIT or JIT. And, but Shingo was different. Shingo really gave generously of his knowledge. And I, I believe that he found an eager and ready following audience amongst us Americans and in general people outside of Japan. And in a way he fell in love with the opportunity of sharing his knowledge because he was like you. Uh, um, Norman and I think like me we love to teach we have this knowledge and we want to share it we want to make sure that people um, understand it so that they can use it for the betterment of their lives or the betterment of their companies and in doing this work with Shingo Shingo was getting older and older he went back into his wheelchair I believe he had cancer he had an operation he was rolling around with a hairnet on his head throwing bananas left and right, and he had this idea. He had an idea that was tied to his mortality. He was not going to be around, and he asked you to do something, and I'd like you to... No, no, to- no, I, I want to correct that. No, he didn't. Okay, good. Oh, no. Okay, good. Carry on. I just want to say that, you know, in the whole scenario of just-in-time, Shingo and Ono, to me, are co-creators. Toyota does not accept Shingo. It's unfortunate, because I've met so many Toyota managers who say the following, you know, Ono was the creative genius on the floor, but Shingo was our teacher. Shingo was the one who brought us into the classroom to teach us all the concepts, really. Ono, ono would demand our production on the factory floor, and they're both geniuses. I said to Shingo one day, who invented Just in Time? And Shingo said, I did, because I was Ono's teacher. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I also, two of the top managers who became very famous in the world, Nak- Iwata and Nakao, very famous because they brought the Kaizen Blitz to America. And, and you I, brought them, them to America. I brought them to America. But I said to them one day, who invented just-in-time Shingo and Ono? And they worked with both for 15 years. And they both said, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Hmm. 
And so I just want to mention that. Well, I was out at Utah State University giving a talk at a conference. And Vern Bueller, a wonderful professor out there who ran the conference, said, Norman, I'd like to bring Shingo to my next conference. And I said, Vern, I'll bring Shingo, but you got to do two things for me. And he said, what? I said, one, we got to start a Shingo Prize. I want a prize just like the Deming Prize in Japan. I think it's important for America to have a prize that we can compete against, just like the Deming mm-hmm. Prize is used by Japanese companies to compete, compete for productivity and quality. And so I said, the second thing I want you to do is give Shingo a doctorate, an honorary doctorate degree. I tried to get him, Gwen, the Nobel Prize, but I couldn't shake up the Nobel Committee, which is foolish because he brought more wealth, economic wealth to the world than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't get a prize. So Vern said, oh, Norman, I can't promise, but I'll try. And he did. (laughs) We started a prize together. And as you mentioned earlier, I was rich back then. Not now, but back then I was rich. (laughs) And I gave money to Utah State University to start the prize. And um, they so, got Shingo. I thought, that, I thought that was Shingo's money. That well, was Shingo's money, money came no. from me. It wasn't Shingo. Huh. I didn't know that money to Shingo. What I did is I put into a pot 5% of everything I did with Shingo. Right? I never told Shingo it was his money. never told anything about it to Shingo. But one day we were out there and they needed money. And I said to Shingo, look, I didn't tell you, Shingo, but I put 5% of what you did this year, the last couple of years, into a pot. It's now $50,000. I give you a choice. We give it to you or we give it to the school to start the Shingo Prize. Without a blink, Shingo said, you give it to the school. Wow. He was wow. such an amazing man. Wow. And wow. We, started, we started the prize. And I'm very happy that the prize has continued so, so successfully. Yes, yes. Wow, that's so exciting. There's so much more, but... If the first half was exciting, I think that we're going to be excited about the second half. So please tell us what happened. You left productivity. You reinvented yourself. You started writing books. And then a couple of three years ago, you met somebody who actually gave you a whole other piece. So talk about yeah, what happened Because I, you know, I'm 80 years old now. And when I was 65, I, I decided to retire. But I couldn't retire. So I came back quickly. And then I started to teach Kaizen, quick and easy Kaizen, which is such a one, it's a Japanese suggestion system. It's so simple, so brilliant, and so few people outside of Japan do it. I don't know why, but so few. I've written a number of books on the subject. And then about three years ago, I teach at Portland State University, and four students came to me and said, Mr. Bodek, we want to, um, what do they call it? Uh, you know, they want to work with me. Internship. Intern, thank you. They want to intern with me. And I didn't know what to do. At Productivity, no problem. I had over 100 people there. They would be able to easily integrate into the company. But I said, okay, come on over. So the four came here. And then I have a good friend, Shigehiro Nakamura in Japan. And I said to Nakamura, uh, one of my authors, I'm going to bring my students over here at three, four o'clock every other Friday. I want you to get on Skype and I want you to teach us your map. This map is dynamite. It's a manufacturing improvement map. And if anybody wants a copy, I'm very happy to send you a copy. All you have to do is send me an email at bodic at pcspress.com and I'll send you a copy of this powerful map which teaches you how to organize your company for world class. It's brilliant. 
anyway, on this map, it mentions something called standard work, standardized work. Well, we know standard work, really highlighted by Toyota, which is everything that you do in the factory must be at the highest level of excellence. And that's our standard. That's every, every, you know, you put two screws together, you got to do it the right way. And there's a standard, the way to do that. Well, on this, it's a standard work. And then the next column, it said day-to-day management. Day-to-day management. I didn't know what that meant. The next column said Takashi Harada. Well, I asked Nakamura about it. He explained it to us. Each week, he would explain one line. It was 38 lines, 38 segments, productivity, quality, robotics, TPM, the people development, etc. This week, it spoke about standard work, development of people, day-to-day management, Arata Method. I became so fascinated that Noriko, my wife, and she's the lady who translated my first book, <laughs> my, my wife 20 years later. Oh. She's now a doctor, which is absolutely amazing. And um, she ordered about seven of Harada's books from Japan so we could study it. It just so happened that three of the four students could read Japanese. And so we read it and ravished it. And then one day I picked up the phone and I called Harada in Japan. I said, I want to bring your work to America. I brought Ono's work here, Shingo's work here and close to a hundred other Japanese works to America, and I want to do the same for you. When can I meet with you? And he said, November 15th. I said, okay, and I got on a plane with Noriko, flew to Japan to meet him on November 15th. And then I intended to translate a number of his books, just like I did in the past, and put it in English. But he, she said to me, no. I said, what do you mean no? I just came all the way from America, and you say no. He said, no, I want to write a new book just for you. And then I said something, Gwen, I should have done years ago. I should have done it with Shingo. I said to Harada, I want to co-author the book with you. Hmm. Now, I should have said that to Shingo because what we went through to bring Shingo's work to America, we deserve the (laughs) co-authorship. It's not an easy process to take the Japanese and put it into English in the correct way. Well, you know, we're just dealing with Spanish and it's already translated. So I understand that better today than I would have six months ago. Yeah, this is, anyway, I spent the next three years learning the method. I went to Japan five times to take his course to really become proficient in the Harada method. Let me briefly tell you what it is. Harada was a junior high school track and field coach in Osaka, Japan, at the absolute worst school in Osaka, the worst school in Osaka, in the slums, if there is such a thing in Japan. He was afraid to go and teach. It was so bad because of the dope addicts, etc., around the school. He had the most unmotivated group of students that he ever had, and he's been teaching for 20 years. But he put together this method by studying the best teachers all over the world. All over the world. Like, like John Wooden at UCLA, which is a great basketball coach. He studied and put together a step-by-step process that teaches people how to be successful in life. Teaches leaders how to be leaders. Teaches leaders how to be coaches. When you think what a coach goes through, the distinction between a coach and a manager or a leader, a leader tries to get get work out of people. Get work out of people. A coach tries to develop people to their best. 
the coach focuses on people that they should be superstars. We don't do this in America. It's very rare. And so Harada, in shifting, trying to get these students to become heroes in their life, his students won 13 gold medals. They never had a gold medal before. A gold medal meant you were number one, not in just Osaka, you were the number one athlete in your in your discipline in all of Japan, like the best shot put thrower in all of Japan at that age group, 13 gold medals. And the school went, Gwen, from the worst school to number one, not just for the next two years when Harada was there, but for the next 12 years in a row, including last year. It, it's the best track and field team in Osaka out of 380 schools. Not only was the school uplifted uh, athletically, but also became one of the finest academically using the Harada method. Harada has already taught 60,000 people in Japan. So, Norman, we're going into our final break now. When we come back, please give us some of the pieces that are at the heart of this so that we can read your book. Of course we can. And it's the Harada method. Norman Bodek, you can get it on Amazon or get it from his, uh, from his website. But please give us a bit on how it works and what is the, uh, shall I say, the heart of it or the magic of it. We'll be back in a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is the former Secretary of the Treasury under President Bush, Mr. Paul O'Neill. Mr. O'Neill will be here to talk about why reinvesting Clinton's surplus in Social Security was a good idea, how the current global recession was predictable, and what is needed to secure America's financial future. Don't miss Paul O'Neill this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome back. I keep running into the music. Uh, 
because I want to use every minute. You know, um, we'll hear more about the Harada method in just a second from Norman. I want to, you want to. But I want to say this to you. Norman has had a long life in business and industry, and he has made a significant, a significant and uh, in some ways unique contribution. Lots and lots of people supported him. I was one of them. But he was the genius who found these people and understood that this was opportunity knocking and he grabbed at it. It takes a particular personality and a particular gift to be able to do that. And I also know that Norman is, in the eyes of many of our listeners, somewhat controversial. But you know what else I've learned? I've learned that... Almost no one in the world is not controversial. Somebody loves them a lot and some of them, some, somebody doesn't love them a lot. Mm. And meaning me, meaning probably you, meaning Norman. So, you know, we got a real human being here who's had a very long and, um, rich life. And we need to acknowledge the gifts that have been given and the gifts that have been given us. So I, I just want to say that because, I, you know, I can I can hear out there people are saying, you know, is this the same Norman Bodak? It is. Exactly the same wonderful man. Go ahead, Norman. Tell us about the Harada okay. method. And- I, mean, I just have a few minutes with everybody. Here's the following. What makes this method unique and why it's real? 60,000 people have been trained in Japan. It's considered as the world's best method in day-to-day management to develop people to their fullest created creativity. It's very simple this. The key behind all of this is self-reliance. It is autonomous. It's that you can stand on your own two feet and the, tr- the company will trust you that you can stand on your own two feet. It's rare today. You call any large company and the first thing you get is we're recording this conversation for quality purposes. They don't do this with senior executives only with the people on the front line because they're not properly trained. Now, there's a very quick way to train these people so we can stop that nonsense. The key is self-reliance. That's our goal. We want everybody to be able to be like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. Norman, dear, Norman, you're shouting. So just... I'm sorry. Yes, I know you're getting carried away and we're we're with you. We're with you, dear. Okay, Okay, the key... So first... We focus on self-reliance and how we're going to get there. Okay. The next thing is we all have to pick a goal. Now, I teach college. I teach graduate students and seniors. And I ask them in the first class who has a goal of something that they want to do in their life to be successful at. I want you to be a master at something so you can be successful in life. Gwen, I get almost no hands raised. Almost none. Now, the challenge for me and the students is they have to pick a goal. If you want to be a winner in life, you have to pick something that you want to win at. We're very reluctant to do that. We're not taught this in our school systems. Not at all. It's funny, Gwen calls me a genius. I was the worst student at my school when I went through my school system. I was the dumbest in the class. I never got an A into the 10th grade. This is really funny. I just know how to work hard. Okay, the first thing is you pick a goal. That's a key. Then Harada developed a clear series of steps. Once you pick a goal, then you have to pick a very strong purpose of why you want that goal. And that purpose should be what's good for you. I want to be rich. I want to travel. I want a nice house. I want a nice car. I want a nice family. That's wonderful. 
but it should also be good for society and it should also be good for your company. So we work on this in the Harada method for you to pick a correct purpose, a strong purpose, which is going to get you highly motivated and highly excited about attaining your goal. It's a series of steps. We then have you analyze yourself, analyze your strengths, analyze your weaknesses so that you can see clearly what you're really good at. So you can continue what you're good at and look at your weaknesses. And then we have a technique to help you replace those weaknesses by developing new new strengths, new routines. The last thing that we do is we all need a coach. So there's a series of five forms that we use. They're wonderful forms developed by Mr. Harada that you complete on yourself. This is you. The only thing, of course, if you're working in a company and you pick a goal and the company's paying you, at least one of your goals should be also for the benefit of the company, not just for you personally. Then we have the last form. It's called the daily diary. And the daily diary is where you monitor yourself every single day that you're doing what you have to do at work, but also you're putting down tasks that are going to take you towards that goal. In fact, in the process, we ask you to come up and we teach you how to come up with 64 tasks, 64 tasks in eight categories for you to attain the goal. You put measures on these. You put dates when you want to accomplish these tasks. It all comes from Harada. If I'm throwing the shot put and I know the tournament is going to be August 15th, that's the date I have to be ready to get to get up there to try to win. I also might know that 60 meters is the current the current record. So I know I have to stretch my mechanism to hit the 60 meters. We do the same thing in your life. You pick a goal and then you go through this process. At the end of it, you need a coach. Everybody needs a coach. We don't get coaches. It's rare. Some companies in America are starting to what's called mentor-mentee programs. Nike has one. That's excellent, where a new employee gets an older employee to become their coach. I just taught a local company, the Columbia Vista Lumber Company, right here in Vancouver. I taught all of their um, managers, about 32 of them, the Harada Method. And I picked. we picked coaches for each other. So everybody in the room ended up with not only doing it for themselves, but also being a coach for someone else. And we have a series of rules how to be a coach. Mm. Tell you a very quick story about a coach. During the early 1960s, I had a very big data processing company, and I was quite wealthy at the time. And when you were wealthy back then, you had to play golf. So every Thursday morning, I would go out to play golf. But I was terrible at golf. Just absolutely, t- I could hit a shank, I could hit a, I could hit a hook, but I couldn't get it straight. Finally, you know, I literally throw the clubs away. I'll never forget the last day. It was the Marriott Hotel. I played eight holes. I played eight holes and, and lost nine balls. And I gave <laughs> it up. And then one day I meet John Schley. John Schley won the Hawaiian Open, came in second in the U.S. Open, and he wanted to do something unique with me and Jim Schwartz, a good friend. We were going to teach senior executives, what Lean was all about in the morning, and in the afternoon he was going to teach them golf. It was a wonderful a wonderful idea. In order to do that, John took me out to the golf course. No, he took me to a driving range. And in one hour, Gwen, he taught me to hit every ball straight. Straight! 
And then I thought back for the two years that I used to kill myself on the course, never hitting a ball straight. (laughs) And how stupid, egotistical Norman was that he wouldn't get a coach. And that's the essence. All of us need a coach in life. We need somebody that's going to watch us. Even Tiger Woods has a coach. The best athlete in the world has a coach. (laughs) We don't build this into our management system. We don't Mm. teach our leaders how to be coaches. Mm, wonderful, Norman, wonderful. Norman, I'm going to recommend to people that they get a hold of the book, the book that you put together, the book that you wrote with Harada called The Harada Method. Tell them to they- go to pcspress.com. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. Go to pcspress.com. Be in touch with Norman either through that website or through radio at visualworkplace.com, and he will send you the map that he was describing before. Norman, I'm going to find a good reason for you to come back again so we can continue well, with these very, very important stories. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, and I have to leave. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye, Norman. Norman is going to teach now at uh, Portland State. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and uh, we'll see what happens next, okay? I'm signing off. Bye-bye. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.